0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions, brought to you by Brady Ware & Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: And welcome back to another episode of Decision Vision, a podcast giving you the listener clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. But rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware and Company, a full service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. And today we're going to talk about, about leadership and, and not just, but leadership, but how do you recognize if you have the kind of leadership you need in your organization? How do you recognize if it's deficient and, you know, how, how drastic steps do you need to take? Can you take in order to, to fix it? And you know, I, I've worked with organizations ranging from from startups to larger organizations, and, and probably the only organization that does not need leadership is a startup with one person in it. <laughs> uh, and even then, you can make an argument that there are opportunities for leadership even outside the sole the sole practitionership. Now, those of you who've been with the podcast for a while, or maybe know me personally, know that uh, that, that uh, I play in a, a a rock band, which is. Basically, a a relatively safe uh, midlife crisis outlet. Certainly safer than a motorcycle and cheaper than a Ferrari, which I can't afford anyway. Um, But one of the things you notice in a band is that you sort of you have you have lead instruments that are up front all the time, right? If you're Elton John, there's a lead piano all the time. If you're Van Halen, there's a lead guitar pretty much all the time. Uh, And then there are instruments that you don't necessarily recognize unless they're exceptional, right? Very few. People really notice the drummer of the band, unless it's Rush and you got Neil Peart going on, right? They don't necessarily notice the bass player, uh, unless the bass player happens to be a front man again, Rush with Getty Lee, but I, that, that kind of shows you the, the nature of the band they have. And, you know, over the years, I've come to think of leadership kind of being as, as, as one of those things is that at, at one end of the, of the spectrum, I think we recognize great leaders and great leadership readily. And then there's another end of the spectrum, like sometimes instruments in a band, where you know sometimes the best thing you can do is you know you're doing a good job when nobody knows that you're there, right? You you remember you, you don't remember boy that drummer kept a great beat the entire time, but if they go off beat, you know everything can come to a crash very quickly. And leadership can sometimes we like that we kind of we kind of take it for granted almost that we assume that it's going to be there. And we don't we often don't think about it until it, it sort of pops its head up and say, boy, that's just outstanding leadership, sort of a Mozart one in ten million kind of thing. Or it's, boy, you know, we're we, we lack leadership here. We don't have emotional intelligence. And you know, when you're in a badly led organization, if you can just watch a badly led organization, it's it's just it's uncomfortable, right? It's not it's it's bad to be and it's not comfortable to to even to even watch. And today joining us, because I don't know anything uh, about leadership other than what I try to do in my my day-to-day activities, but fortunately we are joined by three people who know an awful lot about it, and we're going to try to squeeze as much knowledge out of them as we can over the next 35 minutes or so. Um, So we're talking to Lynn Turknet, Bob Turknet, and new kid on the block, Tino Mantella, of the Turknet Leadership Group. Um, With over 30 years' experience, Turknet Leadership Group is a nationally recognized leader in providing character-based leadership and organization development. They specialize in executive coaching and development at the individual and team level, using the leadership character models and capitalizations, trademarks, so nobody else go out and steal that. Mm -hmm. They have helped thousands of individuals become highly functioning, thriving leaders and have helped build teams that balance respect and responsibility with a foundation built upon integrity. Their goal is always organizations operating with complete integrity, optimized processes, and maximum financial success. The firm has specialized in executive coaching since 1987, before the word coaching was common parlance. I I agree with that. They combine scientific rigor with an unmatched ability to partner with their clients for deep, sustainable growth and change. The founders are thought leaders and have lifted up character-based leadership through the Georgia Leadership Character Awards since 2003, which, by the way, I'm a proud three-time nominee. I still have the plaques hung up in my office, but this is the only thing that I actually bothered to hang up. Um, these awards are now presented in partnership with the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership. Um, It goes on and on and on. I I could tell you a lot more things about the organization, but that means I'm not asking questions. They're not answering them. So I'm going to cut to the chase and I'm going to welcome Lynn, Bob, and Tina to the program. Thanks so much for coming on today. Great
2: to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. So, um, let me lead off, you know, let me lead off with this. I mean, is leadership important? Do you agree to some extent that it can sometimes be taken for granted? But boy, when it's not there, you sure do miss it.
2: I could, I could, I'd could. like to address that just in a general way first, and then they may have some comments. But um, for me, a driving force in terms of leadership is how important it is for bringing out the best in others. Uh, with every client I see, I try to always plant the seed and to get them to think about viewing themselves as trying to bring out the best in every person every and, and help every person become the best leader and the best person they can be. And and if you think about it, and if we've all had that as an underlying philosophy in all of our interactions, what a great organization it would be, and what a great world we would have.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading a piece from Extreme Leadership yesterday, and it's about uh, the SEALs, the Navy SEALs. And one of the first stories is about a boat race that's a part of their last training, and one boat keeps coming in ahead in the race every time and there's one guy who's the leader on a boat that keeps coming in last so the guy wrote the book and who's the upper guy whatever his title is says let's just switch we'll switch here the leaders interestingly the boat that was coming in last came in first in the next race it was all about the inspiration, the way that person helped align the team, helped them feel good about the goal, helped them uh, take small steps together. But the guy who was in the boat who was losing had no thought that it was his leadership causing that. It was, uh, as you said, an unrecognized factor. I love the idea of the drummer in the band, keeping the pace and uh, being in the background, but helping align the band.
3: So I'll just add uh, a couple of comments because I think when your listeners are thinking about leadership, they probably are thinking about the CEO or, or the C-suite. And the interesting phenomenon now that's always been there but has been magnified in, in the last decade is that leaders could be at any level of the organization. And, and going back to your first point, Michael, it could be that one person because they have to lead in a lot of different ways. I mean, they have to lead in respect to uh, convincing people that their product or service is uh, viable, for example. But we like to, I think companies today are saying every level, in fact, we get a lot of calls now around the director level, um, a few clicks down saying we want all those people to be leaders. So every person in the organization, if you're being fully functional and optimizing your uh, results you're going to want to make sure that every person sees themselves as a leader. And that's really different difference in some ways between a manager and somebody that's taking ownership and feels like they're really part of the company and, and helping to drive it forward.
1: So uh, let, let's go to that. And, you know, Tino, you and I have a, a, a long history collaborating in the startup world, and you know yes. as, as much about it as I do, if not more. I'm not sure about is, that, but go ahead. <laughs> is, you know. I think it, it can be tempting to think, well, you know, I don't run a 1,000-person organization. I run a team of four, right? How much room is there leadership there? But you sort of touched upon it. You know, Even in a group that small, does leadership become important? Maybe it's even more important because you're more exposed. What, what do you think about that?
3: Well, I'll start with that one because we, uh, Lynn and I and, and a couple other uh, people at TurkNet worked with a group of 15 women entrepreneurs as part of a city Program and uh, the focus of uh, Lynn's program was on leadership. And what we found is in a lot of these entrepreneurial companies are thinking about, and you know this, Michael, first to market, product, finance. And one thing that gets put on the sideline is how am I going to work with people and how am I going to bring them all together? And how is everyone in this small group going to be willing to take on more than one uh, set of job skills because frankly you know if there's three people you're you're you don't have a lot of specificity you're gonna you're gonna gonna be doing it all and uh so uh, i don't know if it's more or less important uh, the founders who have a lot more experience on this and seeing it from that side would might have a judgment on that but it's certainly as important in a four-person company as it is in a thousand person company i would say
2: and in terms of the women we do a women in leadership program every every month and we have about 50 or 60 attendees and a speaker every month. And the women or and sometimes men who are the speakers um tell their story of leadership and you can just see from the reaction of the audience there that um those stories are very inspiring and very powerful and and how important leadership really is in terms of I mean when they go away from that feeling like this is the best thing I've ever experienced. I go away from it every every month, feeling like this is the best one yet. So there's something really special and unique about leadership when it's working well and when people can tell stories about the leadership at, where it's done in the right ways and the best ways.
1: Now, I'm I'm curious. Do those individuals? Do you think they feel that great because they suddenly recognize they're in a leadership vacuum and now may have tools to fix it, or do they do they sense that in themselves all of a sudden they realize they have the skills and the tool set to? to create that leadership influence themselves or some, you know, mix of the two? I think both, but Lynn may have an
0: idea. I'd say the latter. Mm -hmm. I think they recognize, uh, I think what Tino said about leadership being broader now, I think it's always been very Mm -hmm. broad, but I think particularly in companies now it's broad. One of the things we say is leadership is a choice, not a position, and there are always opportunities for choosing to lead. Uh, there's a definition I like, too, that says leadership is about going first in a new direction and being followed. So anytime you see something that needs to be done, a problem that needs to be solved, and you figure out how to move forward how to get other people to move along with you, you're exercising leadership. You are leading. And I think to Bob's point about why hearing other people talk about it is so inspiring, is it, it? does to your point make you feel, oh my goodness, I could do that. I do that every day. I did that in high school. I, you know, that, that could be me. I could do more. I could take more ownership. Uh, I can lead.
1: So I'm going to skip ahead to a, a question because the, the segue is better here. Then is it? Is it your view that everybody can be a leader? It's not just something that you're born with and that's it. But it's a it's a set of skills that you can develop or. Clearly, I know it's it's a mindset based on your character model, but you know, expand upon
2: that. Well, and everybody is a leader, um, whether they really accept the idea or think about it that way or not. Because you're you're a leader as a parent, you're a leader you're a leader yourself. I mean, if you think about our leadership character model, which we can discuss in a minute, um, to be able to, uh, if you think about that in terms of all the qualities that are involved in the leadership character model. Uh, you've got to lead yourself first with those, or or you're not, you know, and no matter whether you're on your own by yourself or with a group of people, all those qualities are critical and important in terms of how you, who you are and how you present yourself and how to be.
0: I think also once people reach adulthood, there are probably some qualities of personality that may help some people move more strongly. Certainly we know they affect whether people are chosen for leadership roles. But I think, to Bob's point, everybody leads. Everybody usually don't think about those times that you do, but everybody leads. And certainly we believe that leadership isn't simply a gift that a few people have. It's something that everybody exercises and that everybody can get uh, better at with effort, self-awareness, and work. Okay.
1: So um – what are some symptoms of deficient leadership? If I'm in an organization, right, and like you said with with the two boats, right, sometimes you don't know it's deficient until you realize you came in last, and the only thing that changed was the leader, right? What are some symptoms of deficient leadership? What is a as as a, as a leader should I be looking for? I started writing that down,
2: and and after after I got to hundred, I stopped. Okay, <laughs> let's let's but, take but the top so few. Some <laughs> of them are. Um, oh, uh, Infighting, political behavior, chaos, silos, constant drama, low productivity, poor results, always reactive, low morale, your best people leave, high absenteeism, and it goes on and on and on from there.
3: I think Bob covered a lot in those uh, those statements. I'm from. Uh, I probably am uh, more of the practitioner in a group, just given my my background. Uh, the YMCA had 4,500 employees, and it's. It was uh, interesting because our work was full of such passion of wanting to help people and make a difference, and some people rose to the occasion and some different. I don't think it was because they had these innate skills where one would uh, stand apart from the others, but it's it's more the things that, the you know, TurkNet Group works with people on and groups on, and that is, um, you know, taking accountability, taking ownership, Uh, being able to work with people, good communication skills, uh, the kinds of things that are required to get people excited. And, you know, from my own experience, I mean, I've had great experiences. I feel like bringing people through the ranks and, and others where it's like, oh man, maybe I should have done this a different way because it's always about, are you getting them motivated? Do they understand what, what the, what the, uh, what the vision is, what the mission is, what the direction is? Uh, are you leading and are they, following or are they leaving as Bob said you know there's a lot of different reasons if you lose your best people for whatever reason that is you're going to have to take a hit and we hear all the time like a company recently contacted us and said look we've gone through four CEOs in the last two years what does that yikes. mean? Yeah, yikes. Yeah yikes so that means that they're they're looking at turnover at all parts of the rank because nobody knows if their job's secure etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's uh, having confidence in uh, leadership but it's not just the CEO again.
1: So, um, so there, there are a lot of symptoms out there. So let's go to some of the causes. What, what do you see as, you know, in, in all the work that you've done? Also, Tina, your view as a practitioner, I think, is very important here. Um, you know, what do you see as the most common or obvious uh, causes of deficient leadership that maybe a listener can, if, if they have the wherewithal to be self aware and self examining, maybe they'll press pause for a second after your answer and see if, take an inventory if those qualities are in themselves or others with whom they work.
3: Well, I'll start on that one just because I think that uh, the turknets talk a lot and, and people that work with us in the coaching side talk about blind spots. And to me, it's like, you know what you know and, and you don't know a lot and you don't see that you're missing the bow and you're not And and also there's an ego piece to this. I, I see, I think I'm, uh, a better performer when I leave my ego at the doorstep and I'm open to people giving me comments and that's really hard for some people. And it's been hard for me over, you know, certain times of my career to be able to embrace that. So I I feel like if you have a mentor, if you have someone, your spouse as Bob's often said, and Lynn have said, you know, someone that can give you real, uh, my spouse doesn't have any trouble giving me uh, feedback. <laughs> but anyways, real real feedback where you have that you know sort of uh, place where people can say, you know what, you're you're missing that. And they don't feel like their head's going to get chopped off for something they're going to say. So that's a real practitioner answer, but I'll leave it to the experts. I,
2: I would like to just frame it, and then Lynn can comment, but I'd like to just frame it in terms of um, if you think about leaders who are too passive or leaders who are too aggressive, and you got problems in both areas, leaders who are too passive abdicate they are too nice they don't want to do certain things because they don't want to impose so they hang back and they don't communicate they don't give feedback they don't do setting goals that with the people they don't do all the things they need to be doing and then the leader who's too aggressive tends to, and then what happens with that first one is it Great tension gets created, and soon it bubbles up, and then there's explosions in the organization and all kinds of chaos. And, and the leader who's too aggressive also creates tension, but in a different kind of way. It's because of fear. People are afraid. So if people shut down, you don't get the best from them. And all the side effects, we could go on hundreds more side effects there in terms of that as, as well. So uh, those are two kind of categories categories i see and then on the aggressive side that's probably been the when i first we first started doing this 30 years ago many of the ceos that i worked with were in that highly aggressive side and very command and control very top down and thought that was the best way and so it was a real convincing job for me and and work for me to help get them to see that they'd get more of their goals met and more of what they wanted if they could balance that with the both the respect and responsibility that they needed to do
0: yeah I want to yeah.
1: interject something
2: because
0: yeah.
1: it's interesting you, you sort of time date that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wonder if kind of the movies of the time mm-hmm. kind of either reflect that sure. or somehow influence it, right? Sure. Greed is good, Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, and the leader of the – and we'll get into this. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into this. But the leader – what we idolize as leadership in the 1980s um, being a really take-charge, super-testosterone right. kind of deal – where baby boomers were leading people like me, Gen Xers, right? right?
2: That doesn't play well anymore,
1: does it? No. And right? so
2: and so I see the the what you're going back to the autocratic, and that's very top down and um, almost a bully bully kind of leader to the well, I call it parental, but it's really benevolent autocrat, but parental, kind of still the parent, right. so I slap your wrist, I spank you when you misbehave. But I don't do it often, but I do it period so you keep keeps you in line. So it's still a fear a way of, of doing it. and so you get the same side effects or very similar side effects or a partner to a partnership model which is what it's moving toward and there are many leaders that we can point to today who really work hard in that part- partnership model and do a good job of it um, but it's easy still for the person who's doing the partnership when the stress happens or there's crisis or conflict they tend to revert to the parental style, thinking that they have to do that when they don't recognize that's the worst thing they can do because they've got to. Do. What they've got to do is work even harder and develop more flexibility, agility, and adaptability to be able to solve the problems that are in front of them, and that's not easy. So, Lynn, coming
1: back to you, what about causes you see as being you know, most frequent causes of deficient leadership?
0: I'd say a lot of that is the opposite of what people need. I was just thinking, Tina was talking about self-awareness, getting feedback, and I was thinking uh, Center for Creative Leadership, a while back, they had 67 competencies, they found four, and I think these are not just uh, were important then, they may be even more important now, and those were self-awareness, and so a lack of self-awareness, and a lack of understanding, that's EQ, that's uh, emotional intelligence, not understanding how you're coming across to other people, not getting feedback and not being able to adapt. That's huge. Learning agility was another one. To Bob's point then, if you can't figure out uh, what's wrong, if you can't in a complex organization, which many people are working in right now, if you can't figure out how to uh, be a partnering leader work across uh, organizations work with people outside the organization learn quickly you can't you can't lead there's also s- typical things like arrogance which is a big uh, derailer it used to be number 1 yeah perfectionism that's a big derailer people who are per- overly perfectionist with themselves and with other people are not inspiring and they also obviously move very Very slowly. We could go on and on on this too. (laughs) Well, the thing that strikes me though
1: is I think all of those things have a common thread, right? I I think a lot of it, to me, and we're going to put on my Dr. Phil hat here, but it does, (laughs) I think, boil a lot down to a fundamental insecurity, Mm. right? And to me, it sounds like what that creates is a feedback loop because if you lead an organization that is in fear, right, and where dissent, where if not self awareness, then making somebody else aware is punished. Right? right, then you've got no shot. Right, you, you're going to have to have an outside intervention. I think, which gets yeah. to the next question then that I wanted to ask, which is, is, you know, is 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 deficiency in leadership something that can be self-fixing, self-healing, or more often than not, does it get to a point where there's got to be kind of a, a grown-up that comes in or a uh, an advisor that comes
2: in and helps write the ship and hits the reset button i'll make one comment then Casino um they if they could have fixed it they probably would have already they, they it wouldn't be happening if they really knew how to fix it and if there was a textbook or a um something that they could just read that would fix it that would help but there's usually not something there because it's got to change something that's a part of them who they are and what they're about and that's what leadership that's the most important part of leadership is you can teach skills and all kinds of different things and tactics that they can do, but uh, it's who they are and what they're about. So their attitudes, their beliefs, their assumptions, all that's really critical, and that has to be gotten at by somebody helping that person get at it, or they could possibly get it by reading or learning, but it'd be take, it would take some in-depth kind of personal uh, work on their part to do that. You know, Michael, when
3: I took over TAG, it was uh, right after the, the tech bust. You remember that. It was 2004, and... Uh, the interesting thing, and people have talked about this for, for ages, but the best time to take over an organization is when it's in crisis because then they they actually listen and they're open to ideas more. So I would, you know, the, to the point, I think Bob was spot on, but what I would add from my experience and from seeing others is the best time to, there's a great opportunity to have someone be most aware after they've failed at something. You know, and, and they're going to be open because it's like, I lost my job, uh, we lost money, whatever it is, it didn't work. Somebody's got to help me. If you go along and you're in a pretty good place and you use the tag, you know, if I came in the tag and uh, everything was robust, they, we everybody was getting investments, you know, in your area. Then, uh, there wouldn't have been that sort of, uh, opportunity for me to come in and say, here's what I think we need to do. Because at that time, people were pretty arm-weary in terms of what they were trying to do. So they were very open. So, you know, from my experience, it's like, it's, it, people sometimes need to have that not-so-great experience to be open. I, and I don't know what uh, Bob and Lynn would say, but there's probably not too many people that haven't somewhere in their career had something that didn't go the way they wanted to
2: make it go whatever make can whatever happens to make us more vulnerable yeah. makes us more open and certainly crisis and uh, hardships and things that really are adverse certainly will help us become more vulnerable and that's one of the things that uh, many leaders struggle with and they need to be more vulnerable and more open but it's very very hard for for leaders to do that it it, it almost sounds like going
1: through the five stages of grief right mm-hmm. you, you have a failing organization you go through the denial the bargaining the um, uh, I forget the other stage, but at the end of the day, there's acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at some point, you're sort of out of options, and you got to be willing to change, right? And with leadership, is such a deeply personal exercise, too, right? Right, right? It's it's really hard to blame lack of leadership on somebody else. It really is. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, this is a question I, I, I want to make sure that I, I get in, because uh, I think it's very timely. For For a long time, and still today, companies address the customer experience, but now we're hearing more of, of a term called the employee experience, right? I mean, it, is, is that a real thing, or is it just sort of a buzzword that we had on Bloomberg Radio for a couple of weeks and it's <laughs> going to go away?
3: Mm-hmm. Lynn, you've done uh, a lot of work uh, on that. Yeah,
0: so. I think it's a real thing. Some of it, I will tell you, will go away. Any of us who've uh, worked in this arena for decades know that the business cycle... Influences things like that. We're in a time right now where getting talent is really tough. People are paying a lot of attention to their culture. They're paying a lot of attention to employee experience at every level when they first uh, come to the website and think they might apply for a job to the time that they exit the organization. But I do think that one of the things I believe is that as Technology increases as organizations become more uh, AI-infused. People become more important. People coming to the table, knowing that they are valued in the organization, using their brains in the organization, feeling excited to be there, is even more important than it is in a factory where you put in the same widget uh, every day. Now, people have to pay attention to that, I think, in order for the performance of the organization to be great. So, I think from that standpoint, even though it will diminish when the business cycle uh, is down a little bit, I think it's going to stay important.
3: Michael, when I was uh, in all the organizations I've really run, uh, say, five years or later, uh, the... We always talked and I was trained and, uh, I was, uh, passionate about the customer being the center of the circle. The customer, the customer. What are we going to, we will do anything, including sometimes ask staff to do something beyond what they want to do because it was the customer center circle that just doesn't work anymore because of what Lynn said, and I would add to that, and you already mentioned it, Michael, the generations coming up, they'll just say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, they're <laughs> right. they're, they're not going to focus on that. And that's not taking anything, you know, millennials have been uh, probably uh much uh, maligned over the last many years. But, you know, part of it is they really want work-life balance and they have other opportunities now because the retention rates are so low and they're like, yeah, I need to go work with my charity tonight or whatever. So, Trying to run with command and control or trying to run with customer being the center of the circle and putting employees uh, at a different level below that, you can try as hard as you want, but it's going to be very difficult because, you know, people are going to push back now more than, you know, I might say that 10 years ago, whatever job I had, and it's like, yes, you're right, we will do that. We will follow those. We will march, you know, march to the sound of the guns or whatever, but it doesn't happen now.
2: And, and decades ago, there were some people who stood out in this in the employee experience area. But they weren't calling it that, but like Horst, Horst Schultze of Ritz Carlton, I remember him giving many presentations, and um, the, he had the, the employees were really empowered to do things that even today most employees still aren't empowered to do. So he was to me kind of a forerunner of the employee experience. But I do think, as Lynn said, it will it will probably fade to some degree and, and then reappear in some other form. But uh, certainly without the employee feeling highly valued and doing everything you can to create that. I just uh, had a CEO that I was working with uh, yesterday who uh, just lost three people. She's trying to hire another top-level person, and she said that the competition for talent is so strong. And she said, and the way we do things, we go through this interview process that takes a couple of months or more, sometimes three months. And she said, I'm just losing people. I, the the best ones to hire, they say, I just can't wait. I got this, these offers, you know, after one month, I got these two offers. I got to take one of them. So we are in a time when the talent shortage is really uh, making a big difference in our culture. Uh, it's definitely a time where, where labor has a bit more power than we
1: saw uh, 10 years ago. Absolutely. So uh, here's another question I, I want to make sure that we cover, and, and that is – Can introverts be leaders, right? I I think many people look at or if they consider themselves an an introvert, they feel like at a minimum they're starting 30 meters behind in a 100-meter dash. You know,
2: I have a quick story I just tell and then they can um, add add other things. But I had a person I was working with who was a CEO, and he of a large um, architectural engineering firm. And he scored on the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Most people are familiar with a business indicator. Um, Kind of a profile. And he scored high on introversion, about about as far as you could go. And then when he did a 360 where he's evaluated by all the people around him, he came out with almost all fives, almost all top scores from like 40 different people on presentation, formal presentation, all kinds of presentation and i said wow look at this and their comments were like there was like 20 or 30 comments they were all just outstanding kind of comments i said how do you explain this being you know you talk about yourself as being an introvert he said well when i was 14 or 15 i decided i wanted to be a ceo so he said i just started paying attention to what ceos did how they carried themselves how they went about things and he said i'm the kind of person that would like to um, you know if you go to a party or a gathering get one person and go off in a corner uh, and just talk to that person. He said, "But you won't see me doing that." He said, "You'll see me going into a room with 300 people, and before that night's over, with probably touching in some way or talking with every one of those 300 people." He said, "Because that's how important that goal was to me." So it it proved to me that if a goal is very important, we can learn anything. You know, we can we can change and learn pretty much whatever we want to learn if that goal is that. If we had that kind of passion.
0: Also, data from the Myers Briggs. Shows that introverts are as represented, based on how many there are in upper management, as extroverts.
3: Yeah, I would just add that uh, yes, you yes, know part true. of it is when we talked about awareness that um, you know if you're a great offensive coach using a football analogy, then you're really going to find have to find a good defensive coach to take care of the other side. And I, I think if you're really aware and you say, okay, here's my skill sets. Then the great CEOs will look for those balance to make sure, you know, maybe they don't like to be out every night at meetings, but they want to have somebody that's representing them. It doesn't have to be the CEO, but I think awareness does a lot because it's, it's again, not ego, but it's like, I'm not that good at that. I need to find somebody that really is strong at that. So it provides that balance.
1: Well, good. I'm. I'm glad. I'm. I'm not hopeless. I'll, I'll share a personal story. My. My wife has one great fear with me, mm-hmm. um, and that is that she fears I'm going to be picked for a Mars mission, because <laughs> I'm such an introvert. She feels that my dream job would be stuck in a tin can, a hundred million miles away <laughs> from humanity, for six months, where I can't even have a live phone conversation. Now. I'm too fat and nearsighted to do to do that, but that's her greatest fear. But I'm glad for somebody like me
2: there's even hope. That reminds me of the woman I was working with and she was talking about her husband and she said, I just wish he was highly introverted. And he didn't talk much and with her. I mean, like she and she really wanted communication. And she said, I just really wish I could like get inside his brain and just walk around in there and just see what all's going on because I just can't quite figure out what's going on with <laughs> That's <him."> right. <laughs> that's right. You know, sometimes it's a
1: boardwalk, sometimes it's a house of horrors. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so, uh, Tina, I'm going to direct this question at you first and then let you guys jump in. But but I, I did have this question with you in mind. Because you have led so many different types of organizations, for-profit, not-for-profit, large organizations, smaller organizations with different missions, does your leadership style have to change based on the kind of organization you have or are there leadership principles that are timeless and ought to work everywhere?
3: So I'd say your leadership uh... Knowledge and skill sets don't have to change, but what you have to understand that isn't always easy is what culture you're inheriting. And the, as uh, I think Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, you know, I've seen that many times in organizations that I've been involved with and organizations that we've worked with. And so when you go into an organization, something that worked phenomenally at one, will not work at all in another because the culture is different and they're not going to embrace it. So I can give lots of stories about, you know, what I've seen where just you can't go in with the same roadmap uh, or Gantt chart or operating plan. I'll give you one example. Um, Young company I've worked with, and uh, I came in full of fire and brimstone saying, okay, we're going to do operating plan, performance standards, NPS scores. And, you know, they looked at me like I had three heads because they're a bunch of entrepreneurs that just want to do what they're doing. So uh, if you you have to take your time, pace it, make sure you have the right people, and not do it your way, as Bob and Lynn said. Sometimes you have to be flexible enough to say, let me stop and listen and see what, you know, what you need. So you, I think the core skill for me has been you can use some of the principles that you've always used to build the or, build organizations, but you can't always use the same uh, techniques because the cultures are different. Lynn's an expert in culture, so, I mean, and Bob as well.
0: Well, that just reminds me, we talked earlier about what derails people, and I think sometimes success can derail people mm. Too much success. And to your point about not being adaptive, I was thinking, I was listening to a podcast that reminded me of the story of Ron Johnson at JCPenney. He had been dramatically successful at Target, then went to Apple and was dramatically successful in building their stores, and then went to JCPenney. And this this was a podcast about decision making but it talked about the fact that he thought he knew all the answers there. He came up immediately with a strategic plan and there's a lot written at the time about he didn't have, he you know cut all the their brands. He didn't ask people who were there what they thought. He stopped all the sales. He thought what he did at Apple was going to fly here and he was the guy who could do it. So to that point you've got to be you've got to know what you're moving into. And in my opinion, also, you've got to know that no matter who you are, you can't be the only brain in the room.
1: I've uh, I've stolen a technique or question from a guy named Tom Keen. He does the morning show for Bloomberg Radio, mm. and when he interviews people, you know, he'll he'll take a position. He's a, he's a very smart guy. He's a, a CFA charter holder and economist you know, in his own right. But he'll often ask, "What have I got wrong?" Right. He doesn't the question for validation. He ends the question asking for what are the holes, right? So he's inviting people to criticize. And, and and I think that is so smart. I've stolen it because I don't need people to tell me why my idea is great. I already think it's great. I wouldn't have suggested it, right? right? But that question as a journalist that he uses, what have I got wrong to create such a constructive conversation? Um, uh, you know, just that opening can make the hugest difference, right, and being willing to be wrong. And as Bill Gates is famous for saying, success is a lousy teacher, right, exactly to your point, because it may reinforce,
2: maybe something that you don't need to have reinforced necessarily. Right. And that success okay. is a lousy teacher is kind of another problem in terms of the, we, we, we talk about in our company, the levels of leadership or the stages of growth. Robert Keegan at Harvard um, did the thing on stages of growth. And so people, most people in organizations are in the stage three to four. But when you get to stage four, uh, you're really doing pretty well in most aspects of leadership, most aspects of leading a team, et cetera, et cetera. So you're really, pretty good. you're really very good. But what happens is that you get a little cocky. And I don't mean in a real negative way. But, you know, you've self assured to the point where you don't think you need to learn anymore or you need to grow anymore. And then that's where the success tends to then delude you into thinking you, you, you're, you're really that good. And then you've got to to be able to move to level five. You've got to be able to then p- kind of put yourself back in the position of learning from everybody around you and really being able to do that.
1: Is, is there more vulnerable a point in life than when you think you have it all figured out? It's
2: a good way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that
1: there, I'm not sure that there is right. That's, that, sure. that's when you, you're whistling, you're looking for the clouds and that's where the manholes <laughs> right under your right, right. foot. Right. Yeah. So, um, we're all a work in process all. We, we sure are. I, you know my, my goal is that my last assignment I ever do in my life is my best one, just a little bit better than the one before that. Yeah. But um, so'm I'm, I'm going to ask you for some free consulting here while I have you captive on the microphone <laughs> here. And, and that is that that I have this notion is you know, I work for an accounting firm. And accounting firms have a reputation of being a certain way. and I don't think I have to explain what that certain way, that certain way is. Right, but one thing that accounting firms have is we have this notion of busy season where we got to get stuff out by April fifteenth and September fifteenth, October fifteenth, or the world simply ends, vanishes, right? Um, and, and you know that's a very tough time for everybody. Morale can really drag during that time. It's you know, it's you're working sixty hours a week filling out people's tax returns. I get. It. I thank God I don't have to do it. Um, but but I look at I look at Silicon Valley, right? And there are people there that are technical, and they're working, by all accounts, 90 hours a week or more, right? To the point where these, they offer free food and dry cleaning. Literally, you can't drag these people out of their offices, right? Is it is it just something that's, that's native to technology, or is it fair to ask the question that I've been asking? And people are looking, they're like, he's a witch. Um, <laughs> but you know, is there something we can learn from Silicon Valley that instead of making people like they're on this forced march, right, but they just love doing what they do and they have this sense of purpose that your big problem is dragging them out of the office? Or is that just a dumb idea? What what have I got wrong?
0: I think most of the time when people are working like that because they want to, and I, I don't really have a great answer here, but I think often it's because, to your point, They are so excited about what they're doing. They love what they're doing. Often, if it's a startup, they've got some piece of the action. They expect it to, they have a sense of ownership, and there's purpose and drive in that. I don't know if you can have an accounting firm where people are that excited about Maybe you could, and i that would be an interesting thing, is to look at the places where people don't talk like that and the places where they do. That
3: might be our next research project. Yeah, Wouldn't I it bet. be cool? Yeah.
0: yeah. Michael, yeah. well,
3: I, I do think, though, you're onto something with technologists, researchers, people that can work more independently, although if technologists are listening in on this, it, they'll, they'd say that they can't do that anymore. <laughs> the days of shoving a pizza under the door and seeing what happens in that room that nobody knows what's going on there are gone, um, the CIOs that I know and I know many are talking about the importance of communication and team, teaming and being involved. But I, I do think that in, when I ran the Arthritis Foundation, you see the researchers and you see that, that the, uh, technologists that are really involved with a project that they're working on science that most people have no idea what it is. And they're not solving, they're not curing cancer. They're just moving like a, an inch. But they'll work 90 hours a week because it's their personal passion to make that happen. So I think leaders today are trying to figure out with every person what is that thing, although we also want to respect that most people aren't going to want to work 40 hours, 50 hours a week, I'd say. Uh, So it's kind of that balance. But I do think there's certain uh, positions that probably lend themselves more to that.
2: I I think a good book um, to read would be American Icon. And it's about Alan Mulally, who was uh, CEO of Ford, brought in to Ford to be the CEO. And this is many years ago. But the book chronicles what he did and helped create in Ford a transformation of a culture that was in real trouble to one that uh, probably was one of the best in the world. And did it through really empowering people, through creating teams and people, if you read Uh, Len and I got to hear him speak. Uh, He was given an award in New York from the chief um, executive magazine. And um, you can just tell the combination of humility and also toughness that those two, uh, it was really, really powerful with him. And he helped get the whole culture motivated in a way that very, very few companies have ever done. So it's very possible to do it. It's just harder with certain uh, areas than others, but definitely a lot of the same Tenant apply.
1: So uh, you've given us a lot of time already, and I want to be, be respectful of that. So I've just got a couple more questions. Um, and, and one of those last two shots that I've got is, you know, what, what advice can you give to companies, somebody that's listening right now, and they're sensing a leadership deficiency either with themselves or their organization? What, what's a, a piece of advice you could give them in terms of what they should be thinking about in terms of addressing a, a leadership deficiency of some kind? We can send them our leadership character model. I'm just kidding. (laughs)
0: Sure, read a book. Read our book. Yeah, read
1: their book. Go to their website, your new podcast, which you just started as well. Right, that's right. Uh, Yeah,
0: Yeah, I would say this is a bit self-serving, but any way you can get feedback is really helpful. Have somebody assess things, come in with an outside perspective can often be very, very helpful. Uh, You know, your question what have I got wrong, is great. If you're a leader, ask people that. We have a forum we'd be happy to share with people that just is something you can give people who are working with you. And one of the questions is, uh, how can I support you better? And often that question sparks a good conversation. But if things are really not going well, it's probably going to pay to get some outside
2: help. And in the days, in today... Um, while we do work with situations where somebody wants us to come in to help them because of a deficiency, um, much of our work or most of our work is probably with companies that are doing well but want to get even better, because and also they're facing so much more complexity that, that everything is changing and so dynamic that they it's difficult to keep up. So they're they're doing their keep just well as um, Robert Keegan said um, in his book in over our heads we're all in over our heads with the mental and moral complexities of our culture and our businesses we're all in over our heads so everybody needs outside help probably every individual but also for sure every company every organization
1: this individual does that's for (laughs) sure
3: you know I, i told uh i was thinking i was talking to bob one day and and i was writing a like a little blog and uh i said i've never had a coach and bob came over and said didn't you play all kinds of sports and do all these other things? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've had a lot of coaches. And then as you start to be aware of it, a couple points here. The best tennis players, now we're watching Wimbledon, you know, and the Dolls and all, and and Serena Williams, they all have coaches. Every good leader has a coach, whether it's in sports. And so I think now, and I had breakfast with a, a gentleman a couple days ago. He said, you know, he said, I think this next generation coming up is actually going to be even more open to having coaches because he said, my kids play baseball. He goes, they have a pitching coach, they have a batting coach, they have an outfielder coach, whatever it is. So they're really used to having people that can bring them along, and I think that's a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Great.
2: And I'm a, I'm a real advocate of women in leadership, and there's two women both have the first name Francis. One is Francis, Heslebon, who uh, – is probably one of the best leaders, and she was, she transformed the Girl Scouts, and then Drucker, uh, Peter Drucker, had her come and run the Drucker Foundation, and the other is Frances Kenny, who is in Jacksonville, Florida, an icon there, and is just, uh, she's 102, and she's still going strong, just just went to a board meeting in Iowa just a few, <laughs> a few days ago, and so that's, and she's, um, everybody wants her. She was on 40-something boards at one time. Everybody wanted her Ooh. as part of their business because she's oh. just so inspiring. So when you're, you have that kind of inspiration and that kind of uh, um, feeling within an organization it makes a huge difference, huge
1: difference. you know there 's a lot more we could cover and, and it 's tempting to try to make this a two parter but i 'm going to resist that temptation mm-hmm. but there 's a lot more that people can talk about i 'm sure there 's a lot of leadership. I know there's a lot there are a lot of leadership topics that we have not been able to touch upon today that a listener is interested in having addressed. Can, can they contact you for more information, get some advice or mm-hmm. You know, maybe it makes sense to bring in somebody like you guys. And if so, what's the best way to contact you?
3: I think you can just go to our website, uh, turknet.com, or uh, contact us. You know, I'll give my cell phone, 678-984-8528. You can call any of us. Uh, We're really responsive, and uh, we're happy to help. And even if it's just to uh, spend some time talking about what the issue is, I think we can be helpful in, in that regard.
2: Right. even to direct some, to direct somebody to somebody else who might help them, whatever, yeah. uh, depending. So, yeah, we'd be glad to.
1: Very good. So that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank uh, Lynn Turknet, Bob Turknet, and Tino Mantella so much for joining us today and sharing their expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsors Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.